Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome in. Yes, it is Downtown, the podcast, episode number 237. Rich Kimball, Kerry Haskell here with you. And we're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Coming up this week on the program, a couple of fine conversations for you. A little bit later on, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Jeff Skunk Baxter will talk with us about his first solo album, his remarkable career in the music business, and, uh, well, his day job serving as a defense analyst, an expert in ballistic missiles and counterterrorism, working with the Pentagon and others. Uh, All that a little bit later on. Up first, a guy who has been making people laugh for more than 60 years now. Uh, you know him from television shows like Gomer Pyle, USMC, back in the 1960s. He appeared on Andy Griffith, had a recurring role on That Girl with Marlo Thomas, his own series for one season, Good Morning World with Goldie Hawn. He's done a ton of voiceover work through the years and stand-up as well. The very funny and talented Ronnie Shell with us here on Downtown. Rich, it's my pleasure to be with you. All right, I have to tell you this, as, as a kid growing up in the 60s, if I turned on that TV and Ronnie Shell was on, I knew I was in. <laughs> I just knew I was in for a good time because if you were on a show, I was going to laugh. Oh, well, good. That's, that's good, Rich. I wish, I wish that could continue for another, but it won't. But anyway, it was fun. And it's, uh, I'm still in reruns. Not you personally. You mean the shows you were on. Oh, no, no, I mean, I, I did all these shows, and and they still come up every day on my my uh, television set. You guys get me TV back down there? We do, absolutely, and yeah, you're on there a lot. I'm on there every night at 9 yeah. with uh, Jim uh, Gomer Pyle, and uh, it just keeps going. And some, you know, I, I come up on emergency, and... I did three of those, three happy days, uh, and, and, and I had a good career. Yeah, I you sure. No compl- you sure did. I want to go back to the beginning, if we, we can. You uh, you went to was it San Francisco State, and and out of there, that got you a gig uh, at the Purple Onion, right? Purple Onion in San Francisco. Uh, I auditioned, and the same night that I auditioned, uh, two other acts auditioned and did very well. One was Phyllis Diller. And the other one was uh, the Kingston Trio, who went on to be famous in the folk era. And uh, I worked with them off and on for, oh, I guess, 40 years. So you were playing at the Purple Onion. You did gigs at the Hungry Eye. How did all that lead to you appearing with Groucho on You Bet Your Life? Well, uh, to make a long story short, uh, the guy that was in charge of... uh, you Bet Your Life was a huge fan of Phyllis's. And so he sent uh, George. You remember George Fenneman? I sure do, yeah. Well, George was from San Francisco. And so he sent uh, George up to, to uh, L.A. to watch Phyllis and see if she'd be right for the You Bet Your Life. And so he went up there, and uh, he loved her and he saw me and he loved me too and he said yeah i'd like to get you on the show too and i said well i'd be happy to that would have been my first uh, nationwide gig and uh, 
So when they signed her up, she was on about a month later. And one week after that, I, I, I appeared as a guest on You Bet Your Life. And that's how I, uh, how I got on that show. And what was your, area of, what was your area of expertise? Was it uh, being an expert on beatniks? Yes. <laughs> and I wasn't. <laughs> but they had to give me something to, you know, for a gimmick. And so I was a, 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 a beatnik expert. I was a, and, and he asked me what a beatnik was. And I said, that's a guy on the bottom looking down. <laughs> 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 but it, I got $600. I won $600. And I guess the secret word, table. And Groucho, contrary to what some people say, was very, very nice to me. I don't, I don't know if it was because I was wanting to be a comedian or what, but he was very, very nice. And later when I did one of my guest shots on Carson's show, uh, he was in the audience and he came backstage and again was very, very complimentary and very nice. So I, I had a great relationship with Groucho Marx. Although I understand what the producers told you beforehand. Uh, listen, we know you're funny, but Groucho's <laughs> the star, right? <laughs> exactly. Because I, I said before I went on, uh, I said, now, listen, I have to tell you, I'm a comedian and I'm, I got some funny stuff and I'm going to probably try here. And uh, the producer said, well, look, Ronnie, I want you to remember one thing. This is the Groucho Marx show and we do have scissors <laughs> in which we can cut out anything that's funnier than Groucho. So I... I if you watch the show, uh, I'm not that funny, <laughs> but I was likable, and he liked it. Well, how did you end up with the gig as a Duke Slater on Gomer Pyle USMC? Well, what happened was I I became an agent for my manager, who was a, a fellow by the name of Dick Link, and he handled Jim Neighbors and Andy Griffith and uh, Ken Berry and. Uh, Frankie Avalon, a couple of people like that. And he saw me working a couple of gigs in San Diego with the Kingston Trio. And uh, I'd opened for the Kingston Trio. And uh, so he took me aside and he said, listen, uh, I'd like to handle you. And I said, well, I, I don't have a, a manager right now. He said, well, that's good. And, and also, coincidentally, uh, Jim Neighbors is going to do a uh, – a spinoff from the Andy Griffith show called Gomer Pyle USMC. And uh, he's going to have to have a sidekick who's more sane than him because, you know, <laughs> uh, Jim doesn't represent the audience. He represents an exaggeration uh, comedically of, of people. And so you have to have somebody to, to sort of be the audience and, and, and to sometimes say, hey, Joe, hey, Jim, what are you doing? You can't do that, so you can't do that. So he said, I'd, I'd love to have you uh, be it, uh, the guy. And I said, well, I'd like to. And he said, uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm having an audition tomorrow, and I'd like you to be there. So I went up, and I auditioned for uh, uh, Sheldon Leonard, who was the big monkey muck at that time mm. over at Desilu, and also... Uh, I don't know how he got in there, but Carl Reiner came in and, and was in on the audition, and they signed me up, and that's how it started. And for the first episodes, first seven episodes, I was merely a, is that right, Gomer? Oh, where are you going, Gomer? Okay, we'll see you. 
<laughs> during the first few minutes of the show, and there would be him going off. And after the seventh episode, they gave me a break to do a, the lead. And uh, from then on, I was sort of his funny sidekick. Now, For, everybody we've talked to that worked with Jim Neighbors said the same thing, that he was just one of the absolute nicest guys in the world. And I know uh, you remain, remain close with Jim right up until he passed. Yes, I did. Uh, I, I have to say, I said this before, but uh, I'm very sincere about this. There has been only two people in my whole life who have had absolutely no enemies. I mean, everybody loved them. One was is my still wife, Janet, and uh, the other one is Jim. Jim, everybody loved Jim, and he was just the nicest guy, and he was so nice to work with, and, 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 and we had a great relationship. Even so that after the season was over, he'd go to Vegas, and I would be his opening act. And then, then he did stuff. I think we were in, in Maine because uh, we went all over, the, all over the United States doing shows, and I'd open for him, and, and it was a great relationship. And we're, I made some money. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Ronnie Shell here on Downtown. I mentioned it. I, I love the show Good Morning World. Uh, you as a radio guy and a great cast with, uh, with Goldie Hawn, the wonderful Billy DeWolf. I, I'm I was surprised that didn't have a longer run because I thought it was terrific. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Good Morning World was CBS. And uh, that season, when we did our debut, uh, NBC started running first-run movies for the first time on television, nationwide television. So it... It, it it happened that probably every, I forget when we were on, Friday night, I think. And uh, every Friday night, someone in America would turn to the other person and say, well, who should we watch tonight on television, Ronnie Schell or Cary Grant? Guess who won? Can't believe you lost out to that guy. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so so uh, that's how we lost. And, uh, of course, I was completely wrong about Goldie. She was a go-go dancer out of uh, Baltimore. And she was a, a dance, she, she was doing a dancing gig on an Andy Griffith special, and they loved her personality. So they said, well, why don't we make her uh, Ronnie's girlfriend? And so they signed, me, uh, they signed her up to be my girlfriend. And after about the fourth episode, uh, I mean, she was adorable. I mean, just got a lot of laughs and everything like that. But she didn't like to rehearse because she thought she was stale. And I just remember the fourth week after a, a, a what they call a, we stopped after the fourth week and waited uh, for two weeks to get our pickup. Uh, she said, uh, "You know, I don't like to rehearse. I I I get I, I stale." And I looked at her. I'll never forget this. And I said, "Goldie, I can tell you right now, you're not going to make it." <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this business four years, and I know talent. And talent has to rehearse. You can't, you can't think you're going to wing it every single time. So, God bless you, but just enjoy this gig. It's probably your last. <laughs> One year later, she won the Academy Award for Cactus Flower, and I found out while working some toilet in Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, she never let me forget it, by the way. Oh, I'm sure. Now, you also played the, the great part of uh, Harvey Peck, uh, Marlo Thomas's agent on that girl. Am I right that right. George Carlin had that part originally? The originally it was George Carlin, and they thought he couldn't act. And uh, at the, I guess that time he wasn't doing much acting. He was just doing stand-up. And so uh, they brought me in, and uh, they fired him and hired me. And uh, that was a, the history of that girl with, with Marlo. And, of course, but I became very close friends of her, her, uh, her boyfriend on the show, uh, Ted Bessel. And uh, he came on to do a year of Gomer. And then uh, we became good friends, and he had an untimely passing mm-hmm. early on. And uh, But it was great knowing him and working with him. Now, you've worked with everybody in the business, so we had the, the honor a few years ago of, of talking with the great Carl Reiner, and you worked with Carl a couple of times. Carl uh, was the executive producer of Good Morning World, and he started directing episodes of our show, and actually I was in them. And then he did two of the movies that I did, he, he directed. One was called... Uh, Fatal, not at the stake of on fatal instinct, fatal, fatal attraction, or fatal something, and uh, he directed me in that. And, and in fact, that was the last film that he directed. And early on, he did another one. Ah, boy, I can't even remember. But it was it was good. Carl was a genius. Oh, he did. Uh, was it Revenge of the Red Baron? That's it. Revenge of the Red Baron. Absolutely. I know one of your closest friends, too, was, was the great Don Rickles. Can you, you tell us a little bit about Don? Well, I worked with everybody. I worked in uh, Vegas off and on for 50 years. In the beginning, uh, opening for big stars like uh, uh, Tony Bennett, and Carol Burnett, and people like that. And they always had an opening act. And I was uh, lucky enough to be chosen to do that. And... Uh, uh, so, uh, what were we saying? What, what were we talking about? Uh, Rickles, working with Don Rickles. Oh, that, oh, yeah. So I got to know Don from his appearances, uh, and he, to me, and I say this with all humbleness on my part, I think he's the funniest comedian that, that ever was, as far as I, everybody that I was associated with comedically. There was nobody like a Don Rickles. I mean, he was always prepared and and just naturally a funny guy and was not the mean uh, guy that he portrayed usually, you know, putting people down, things like that. But uh, and he was fun to be with on, on social occasions. Uh, you just go in there and you sit next to him and just let him, let him roar and uh, do his thing at all the people that are that had come near him. And, and he, he was, a, he, I have not seen anybody close to him. Uh, I have a theory about that. Uh, you probably want to hear it. Do you? Oh, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I have a theory about comedy <clears throat> and you think, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, comedians, the difference between a comedian and a comic is a comic says funny things. And a comedian says things funny. Mm. And a typical example would be uh, early on Jack Benny. When Jack Benny walked out on stage, 
the audience immediately starts laughing. He doesn't have to say a word because he has this reputation of just being a funny guy. Where it, a lot of the comedians, and some today, they come out, but you don't laugh until they say something funny. And because they're, they're not inherently funny themselves, or they might be, you know, as, as writers, but uh, you have to have that funny bone to meet. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Benny, too. I don't know that anybody has ever used the power of silence any better than Jack Benny did. Good, good point. Good point. Very good point. Uh, you're right. He was there. I never had a chance to, to meet him, but uh, I, I knew George Burns, his best friend, and he was he was he was always in awe of uh, of Jack. Now you, met, you, you mentioned so, uh, doing several episodes of Emergency. Now I understand too. There's a there's a family connection there with uh, Bobby Troop and your wife, right? Very good, very good. Very, you do your homework, Rich. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say because uh, 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 it's 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 really current. Uh, when I did I did three episodes of the Patty Duke show. You remember? Well, you're too young for Patty Duke. No, I Patty I, I can still sing the theme song from Patty Duke if you want. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> well, yes. Well, there was a little girl who played her cousin on the show, but uh, she was supposed to be a lookalike, and uh, you always saw the back of her head. And uh, when she was with Patty, and that girl turned out to be Cindy Troop, Cindy Troop, and her father was Bobby Troop, the famous uh, singer, piano player. And so I got to know her, you know, socially and during the filming. And then one, I just remember one day I came on the set, and I'd, 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 I'd a failed romance. Maybe it was with Goldie. And anyway, <laughs> he said, I said to Sydney, I said, you got to find me a new girlfriend. I'm, I'm, I've run out in this town for crying out loud. <laughs> he said, well, I, 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 ha, I have a girlfriend who just broke up with her longtime boyfriend. I mean, I'll show you a picture of her. She pulled out her wallet, and here was this, to me, a beautiful blonde in a bikini laying on the sands of uh, Oahu. I said, that's her. I'll let you take her around. And uh, so he fixed me up. He introduced me to her. And then uh, I dated her. And, and two years later, she became my wife and still is. And, uh, oh, uh, the point being is, is that Sydney uh, just died uh, last month. And we did a memorial for her uh, last week. But I always... Oh, a lot to Bobby Troop for introducing, for, for having a daughter that introduced me to my, my, my beloved wife. Boy, we lost another talent yesterday, too, uh, Robert Clary, that you, you knew very well yeah. because you worked on the same lot together when he was doing Hogan's Heroes. That's right. And she, he, he also uh, did a lot of Broadway show. He did a Broadway show before he, he got on Hogan's Heroes, and that was uh, New Phases of 52. I believe, and uh, his song was "I'm in Love with Mr. Logan." You remember that? I do. And everybody was in that new face is shown fifty two. Paul in was just hysterically funny. Who, by the way, I did two two episodes of his show, "Temperatures Rising" and uh, the uh, uh, Paul in show. Who another naturally 
hysterically funny guy. When he walked out or walked into a room, you automatically laughed. Now, these comics, uh, comedian, I call them comedians, were just absolutely inherently funny. Now, I worked with uh, uh, Robin Williams. On, I did the, a guest shot on the Mark and Mindy. Right, right. And uh, I worked two weeks with him. And I, I found him a genius at coming up with funny lines. But, and this is just my personal thing, to me, he wasn't a funny person. He was mm. very quiet and very down. And the only time that he would do anything funny is when he would uh, uh, do these lines. And uh, But everybody called him a genius, which he was, because he, he'd come up with lines you would... But didn't have the the wherewithal or whatever it was of a of a Jack Minnie, and uh, so although I liked him, he was a nice guy. But uh, that's that's my uh, personal opinion. The difference between a comic and a mm-hmm. comedian. Now you also worked with Robert Mitchum. What was it? Uh, Family for Joe. Yes, I did, and uh, he was one of my heroes early on, and uh, I thought he was a genius actor and uh <laughs> funny little story <clears throat> i didn't get a chance to to uh, meet him before we rehearsed on the set and when i so when I, I went on the set and i did my lines i played a an effete i think that's the word you use in those days <laughs> uh <laughs> owner of a veterinary shop and uh, so i started doing my lines you know just like Oh, and the, oh yes, something like that. And, and when it was over, I wanted to clarify myself with Mitchum. So as we walked off, I said, uh, "Excuse me, uh, Mr. Mitchum. Uh, uh, hi, I'm I'm Ronnie Shell. I, I I'm playing this uh, I'm playing this gay, but I'm really straight. <laughs> without a, without a beat, he looked at me and said, "Hi, I'm Bob Mitchum. I'm playing this straight, but I'm really gay." <laughs> <laughs> Story. <laughs> that is fantastic. We, we walked off the set. We had an audience in, in those days. And we walked off the set. He turned. Was I too Jewish in that in that scene? <laughs> 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 uh, you also so worked we, with a great friend of our show, uh, the wonderful Ruta Lee. I got to think she was a blast oh, to work with. I just worked with her recently on something. Oh, I know, in, in, in North Carolina. Yes, Ruta is a doll. We did a show together for four years. Oh, don't leave it all to your children, a musical. And she was just a joy to be with uh, and a good actress. You look back and you see some of those early Andy Griffiths and and, 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 and Jim Neighbors uh, sitcoms and stuff like that, and uh, she was in a lot of those. Oh, she's she everywhere. Now, you also, you, know you were a frequent guest uh, on uh, on the great podcast that our, our friends Gilbert Gottfried and Frank Santo Padre oh. did. Now, I'd, I'd ask you, if we weren't uh, under the auspices of the FCC, I would ask you to tell the Alan Ladd story, but I think people should just go <laughs> find that on the podcast. All I'll say is chickens. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> but you're you know, so I, great on that show. And, and, uh, I, told, I told Rich, which was a, a, uh, probably a, not a true story, but it, 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 I played it as it was a true story because... <laughs> That's where I heard it, and uh, I w- don't worry, Rich. You can relax. I'm not going to. Our producer's but, right. He's on the mute button as we speak, but I'm confident. <laughs> I had more fun with that, and I've had people 
come up to me and say, hey, Ronnie, yips. And then they, they do the line, which was a hysterically funny line uh, about the chickens in Allen Lab. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he, thank God, Allen Lab never heard, heard the story because he would have probably beat the crap out of me, <laughs> even though he was only 5'4". He was but, scrappy, though. He was a scrappy 5'4". Yeah, he was a scrappy five four. There's a lot of those, a lot of those uh, big stars were little guys, but they had that big man persona, and uh, he was a good actor. He was good. I loved it. Shane's one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. Now you you've done so much voiceover work through the years too, and uh, I don't know if people know this or not. If they're hockey fans, you were the voice of Peter Puck. That's right. I they they played a, a lot up in your area because. You have hockey's big up there, isn't it? Oh yeah, very big. Yeah, well, they hired me. NBC hired me to play the voice of hockey uh, of uh, Peter Puck, who was a hockey puck, and he would explain uh, hockey to a lot of Americans. Uh, I'm talking about in America, United States Americans, because it, it wasn't that popular in those days. Uh, and so I would uh, explain hockey, and, and I had a punchline. There was a lot bad hockey, and I was there for four years. And then I, then uh, they dropped it. But uh, it was in Canada for another three years as as uh, Peter Puck, and I enjoyed that. That was another nice little gig. But half the time I'd be as a guest, Ronnie Shell, on a radio show somewhere like up in the uh, Montreal or somewhere, and they'd ask me questions about certain plays in hockey and I had no idea what I was talking about because I wasn't, and I was a baseball fan and, uh, and, uh, but it was a good day. It was fun. You had a pretty good, uh, pretty good player yourself. And, and you had, you've told the story on, uh, on Gilbert and Frank show about your, your team, your softball team. Was it the reruns? I had a team, uh, in Encino, California, which is in the San Fernando Valley of playing, uh, uh, a softball, a men's softball team in the league there called, uh, well, our name of our team was the Rerun. And I used all my friends that were in the business. Uh, and we were then 10 years we played in this league, men's league in Encino. And finally, the 10th year, we, uh, we, won the, we won the league. But we had to bring in ringers like, uh, uh, see, who played for us uh, that you know? Well, uh, well, who is the well, our friend Walker? John Biner yeah. played for you, and Fred John Willard. Biner. Was it Martin Mull, too? John Biner, John Biner was one of my uh, pitchers. I had three pitchers. John Biner, uh, <clears throat> who else? Oh, Martin Mull, Martin Mull, and uh, some other. And Harvey Corman played for you, too, right? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> terrible <laughs> yeah but yeah. you you mentioned ringers you had steve yeager of the dodgers playing for you yes we did we had a whole year and a half, uh, two two seasons and he <clears throat> he'd either strike out or hit a home run and <laughs> boy he was he was a long ball hitter and uh we had uh let's see jack riley member from the new heart love he jack riley yeah he wasn't very good but a great guy <laughs> one of my best friends <laughs> 
And who else do we have? Uh, well, I played first base. And uh, see who else? Uh, oh, uh, who's who's that guy that's so funny that uh, that did the Milwaukee game? Oh, Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre. He played third base for me in a couple of games, and he was hysterically funny. As funny as he was when he was saying, "I must be in the first row." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ronnie, we could talk with you all day. I want to remind people they can go to your website and uh, get autographed uh, memorabilia and the like at RonnieShell.com. They can find you on Facebook at The Real Ronnie Shell. It it has been a a delight to talk with you. I've loved your work since I was about yay high. Uh, Thanks so much for being with us today, Ronnie. Hope we can do it again sometime. Anytime, Rich. I I, I, I loved working with you, and you were a nice guy, and uh, we'll we'll do it again. All right. Thanks so much. Be well. You're happy. You got a birthday coming up next month. Happy birthday in advance. Shut up. <laughs> you hear me? Shut up. <laughs> you don't touch him after a certain age. <laughs> All right. I, I know nothing. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ronnie. Okay, buddy. That's Ronnie Shell talking with us here on Downtown, the podcast. A quick word from Cross Insurance, and we'll be back with Jeff Skunk Baxter after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. He's a former member of Steely Dan. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of the Doobie Brothers. Talented musician, producer, songwriter, and more. Oh, and also a defense consultant who's advised members of Congress as well. Talking about Jeff Skunk Baxter, who joined us to talk about his first solo album, Speed of Heat, and more. Hey, Skunk, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, sir. Man, I love this album uh, so much. Speed of Heat is just a, a showcase of your talents. What What were you hoping to accomplish with this long-awaited solo album? Well, number one, I wanted to play some of the stuff I like to play. <clears throat> it was started out as an instrumental record. And of course, the first thing I wanted to do was my version of Apache. I love the classic guitar guitar song. And then I was doing a... I, I just wanted to play... And, and enjoy and explore some of the different styles and just some of the different areas of music that, that I love. And then when I uh, was doing a charity event with Mike Donald up in uh, Santa Barbara, he asked me what I was up to. I said, well, I'm doing this solo project. And he said, well, if you'd like me to do something on it, I'd, I'd love to. And, of course, it took me one femtosecond to figure that one out. <laughs> so all of a sudden, it's... It moved over to uh, uh, being a combination of things. So the album itself is like a is like a guitar solo. It just kept on uh, going.
going down different roads and exploring different kinds of music until finally, because they say to fill up the jar with enough pennies, time to roll them up, send them to the bank, and start <laughs> all over again. So. Uh, your version of Apache is great. Is that one of those songs that you learn as a young guitar player and you, you get done and say, yeah, I think I can handle this instrument? Uh, that was one of the songs that I fell in love with, the the, the Jorgen Ingman version, which was the hit. Right. And I, I grew up in Mexico City, so when I first heard that song, it was on uh, Mexican radio. But there was an American radio station that was broadcasting into Mexico. Um and I just thought that song was beautiful. And I've always played it, and I've always been in the back of my mind. And having, you know, played with and produced albums for instrumental bands like The Ventures and stuff, I was just kind of waiting, I guess, for the opportunity. I love your pedal steel work on The Rose. That is terrific. Well, thank you. That's, that, that's kind of special in my heart. That came about because the... A guitar Player Magazine was holding a 25th anniversary sort of celebration up in San Francisco. I was on their board of advisors, and they asked me to do something to come up with a musical piece to honor, uh, as they were running the photograph of some of our colleagues who passed on. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I was in the radio I guess in the, in the in the car, and I heard the rose. I thought, what a beautiful melody! So I'm going to do an acapella pedal steel version of the rose for this anniversary. So I went out and I played, started to play it. Got to the end of the first verse, and Adrian Ballou came out and plugged in. And Adrian is one of my favorite guitar players uh, and a good friend. And by the time they got to the end of the second verse. We had a bass player, a drummer, a keyboard player, and we were playing the song. And so I thought, number one, I wanted to showcase the voice of the pedal steel. I don't think anybody's ever done any a cappella pedal steel. And so I wanted to do that, again, to showcase the voice. And I also wanted to do a tribute to my, to my dad. I, I don't know if I was ever able to put into words um, how I felt about them, so I thought the best way for me to do it would be to kind of do what I did for those other folks and play some steel. Well, that's wonderful. We're, we're talking with Jeff Skunk Baxter about his new album, Speed of Heat. Uh, you revisit a song that you played on with Steely Dan uh, nearly 50 years ago, a terrific version of My Old School. Well, I used to sing that song live with the band, and I always thought, and every time we played it, it got a little more energetic. And I always thought that, uh, I don't know, that song could probably handle a lot more energy. So uh, I got I put together an arrangement and, again, went back to my uh, partner on this project, C.J. Vanston, and said, let's try this arrangement. Worked out pretty well. And originally I wanted Steve Tyler to sing it, which I want to send him a copy of the track with a scratch vocal. He said, well, who's singing? I said, well, that's me, but uh, scratch vocal for you. He goes, well, why don't you sing it? I said, I'm not a singer. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, you are. You should really do this. I said, are you kidding me? And he says, no, man. So I trust him. He knows more about this stuff than I do. So I figured, okay, why not? 
I absolutely fell in love with the, what you and CJ did with Do It Again, turning that into a, a shuffle. It's phenomenal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love shuffles. Greasy, slimy, <laughs> pleasy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I think fun to do. I think my favorite song on the album is one that you and CJ wrote, and that is Juliet. Ah, well, originally CJ and I started working together in in Chicago, the jingle companies would fly me in to do sessions. And I met CJ on a session. We actually were doing something for uh, one of the top jingle producers. He came in one morning in a little bake and uh, handed out the sheet music, which had a key time, key signature, time signature. The title said Hyatt Hotels, but there was no music. So he said, okay, you guys ready? So I looked at uh, this gentleman, CJ, I said, yeah, sure, roll tape, give us a click. So we just made it up as we went along. And I guess the uh, <laughs> client liked it. And afterwards, I said to CJ, if I ever do a solo project, obviously I'd like to do it with you because we can write on the fly. And Juliet, we wrote on the fly. Wow. We went back and did some overdubs, but we actually wrote the song on the fly. You're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for your work uh, with the Doobies. And, and uh, Doobies have the reputation of just being uh, craftsmen that wanted to get it right and, and, and put time into rehearsal that not every band always did. No, that, that's one thing I have to uh, hand to the, to the band. It had always been, at least in my experience, uh, caring a lot about, the, about getting it right. Rehearsals were weeks long. Uh, intense, and actually, the level of musicianship in that band, I finally convinced them that they should work as a rhythm section. Go out and make, uh, you know, work in the studio with Carly Simon and Hoyt Axton and Leo Sayer and to hone their studio skills even more because the depth of musicianship in that band was and is amazing. You've done so much great session work through the years, and I love what you did on Donna Summer's Hot Stuff. Now, when you go into a session like that, you're working with a great producer in Giorgio Moroder. Did he just say, hey, skunk, do your thing? Yes. This was when he first called. Uh, my assistant uh, said I wasn't available. Then I finally ended up talking to him. And he said, uh, I want you to play on this new artist Donna Summer. I said, what kind of music is it? I said, well, it's uh, disco. And I've been doing so many disco records. I said, uh, no, I'll tell you what. Why don't you call Jay Grade? So he calls Jay and says, why don't you call Skunk? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I said to him, I, I certainly, I, I want to help you on this, but uh, isn't there maybe something we could try that's different? And he said, I want Skunk. I want the Skunk sound said, okay, so we're going to make a disco record that's basically a rock and roll record. He says, that's what I want to do. So, yeah, I, 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 I was a little late to the session. I didn't have a guitar with me because all my stuff was in transit. So I stopped off at Guitar Center, uh, saw a box in the middle of the store, said, buy me 25 bucks. So I grabbed a Burns Bison <laughs> Jr., Baby Bison, and a six-pack of Budweiser and showed up at the session. <laughs> plugged it in and away we went you know? <laughs> yeah how did you end up working with dolly parton on nine to five just got the call <laughs> uh, you know 
of got the golf. And it was delightful. It was fun playing on that particular cut, and it was fun doing some recording projects with her. She's an angel, brilliant musician, and just an all-around wonderful person. I mean, she was baking cakes and cookies, and, uh, I mean, the whole band, we didn't really care one way or the other about the money. We just said, this is great. Whatever you want to do, we're in. But, yeah, I just got the call, like most of the other things, you know. Okay. okay. You, you've got this whole other career as an expert on defense, of ballistic missiles, uh, counterterrorism as well. And, and I understand that part of the reason that happened is because of the ability that, that so many great musicians have to think about things in different ways. I think that's very true. I even, uh, I, I urge all parents when their children are just born to play classical music, especially Mozart and Chopin, uh, because music rewires your brain. It takes it from the non, from the linear to the nonlinear. And yeah, I work with some amazingly brilliant people, but sometimes, especially in the military, uh, the kind of architecture of, of, of thinking and processing and analysis is somewhat uh, limited and narrow. So they're looking for somebody who thinks, I hate to use the word outside the box, but in a kind of a nonlinear fashion. Of course, all the physicists that I work with at Lawrence Livermore and MIT, Lincoln Labs, most of them are musicians, so they get it. But I think that was, I think that was the bottom line, is looking to do analysis from a very different perspective. And if you ever want to learn about more about that, you can read a book about Lieutenant Colonel John Boyd, who invented the OODA loop, by the way. Uh, he came up with some concepts of analysis that were very nonlinear. So anyway, there you go. All right. Well, I, I love the album. Love your work through the years. Speed of Heat, Skunk Baxter. A real pleasure for us to talk with you. Thanks so much for making time for us today. And I also have to give a huge amount of credit for this stuff to my partner, C.J. Vanston, who was just a brilliant musician, composer, and my partner on this project did an incredible job. Absolutely. Skunk, thanks so much. Good talking with you. Thank you, sir. Jeff Skunk Baxter with us in downtown, the podcast hour. Thanks to Skunk and thanks to the great Ronnie Shell and to you for visiting with us this week as well. We'll see you next time right here on downtown.